Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. Join us now as Pastor Keith Moore shares today's message. Well, we are in our second week in our series called Mythbusters. Last week we took a look at the myth or the question, isn't Christianity arrogant to say that Jesus Christ is the only way to God? Uh, We won't go back into that one again, don't have time to unpack all that, but if you didn't hear that message, you can go to our Dogwood website, click on Messages, go to the podcast or the... uh, or the video of the message and get a little caught up there. Today we're going to deal with a second myth that Christianity forces morality on others. It comes in the form of a question sometimes, doesn't Christianity try to force morality on others? Christians in our culture we've seen for decades uh, debating, sometimes protesting, sometimes writing, sometimes uh, actually arguing in court over moral and ethical issues. Uh, we have, again, in recent days. And when we do, predictable reactions come. And I've been reading a few of these and, and hearing a few of these on the news in the last few days. Here's some that I've heard just in the last uh, few weeks. Christians are judgmental. Here's another one. They act like society's watchdogs and then try to censor everything from where we can go to eat to sex education in the classrooms. Here's another. Christians are people who want to push their values on others. Or they seem to think they're right and everybody else is wrong about all kinds of moral issues. When other people don't agree, instead of respecting their freedom to choose, Christians charge in to try to make sure their agenda wins. They're just a bunch of moral crusaders. You know, people are offended at that. And that may be your uh, question today. I mean, there are many people, at least 4 or 5% of our crowd each week are not Christians and uh, people who are kind of checking out the claims of Christ. Maybe you're here for the, the last time to check out uh, Christianity and the claims of Jesus and I understand, I understand that reaction. What I find is that very few people are offended when, when we Christians pursue uh, or follow a, a personal, private set of moral guidelines. Almost nobody. In fact, I've never encountered anyone who was offended by uh, me or any other Christian pursuing an individual, personal, private set of moral Guidelines. It's when we Christians go public uh, that we run into the righteous indignation of um, of others in our culture. Because Christians, we Christians can get scary. And I, in my lifetime, as I've looked back over the history of this thing over the last twenty or thirty years, we Christians can get scary to people when we go on a public crusade to seize power or rewrite. Laws And it seems like Christians are always on one moral crusade or another to control the books that kids read in the classrooms or to uh, shape what people see on television or to keep women from having abortions or to shut down adult video stores or to ban same-sex marriages or to uh, keep kids from listening to certain kinds of music, to cut off public funding for certain types of artistic expression it's times like that 
that those of us who are Christians can get accused of trying to force morality on others. One writer said it this way, Christians are just a bunch of narrow-minded, loud-mouthed bigots stuck in an idealized past, out of touch with reality, having no idea of the depth or complexity of the issues and no appreciation for diversity. Sometimes we come across as condemning. Sometimes we come across as rigid. Sometimes we come across as, as loveless. Well, why do we do that? Why do we come across that way? At times, I think there's at least two reasons, and here's the first one. Sometimes we are. Sometimes we Christians are condemning. Sometimes we are unloving. Sometimes we are, uh, in a very unhealthy way, um, rigid. And, uh, and when we are, we are nothing like the Lord Jesus. Uh, there uh, was a time when uh, my heart just sunk. Uh, it was a beautiful Saturday afternoon in the fall. I was going to be meeting a friend who had uh, uh, given me a ticket to meet him and some buddies at a Georgia Tech football game. He's sitting right back here. And, um, and so I had just finished my, one of my pregame rituals, religious rituals, which is, you know, the varsity. And I was coming... I was walking across the North Avenue Bridge to the Tech campus in, in a stream of fans going into the stadium. And there on the bridge were two guys with bullhorns screaming right in the faces. I mean, like like right in the faces. I mean, right... Because the sidewalks, you know, just here. Well, they're, right, that you're all going to hell and you all need Jesus. Now, I, kinda, I agreed with them that if we don't have Jesus, we're all in trouble, that we're going to all be separated from God forever in a place called hell. That's pretty clear in the Bible. But I think the problem was is I think they wanted me to go to hell and uh, be separated. from it. I mean, that's the way. It was mad. It was angry. I even saw one nice lady try to stop and converse to say, oh, I'm a believer too. And I said, well, you're probably not. I mean, it was, you know, it was just, wow, it was really over the top. And now maybe they weren't loveless. I couldn't see in there. You know, maybe they weren't loveless. Maybe they weren't condemning. Boy, they look like it. Sometimes, sometimes we are. And when we are, again, for those of you who are, are not followers of Jesus, when we Christians are that way, we are nothing like Jesus. We are absolutely nothing like Him. In fact, He said in John, the Gospel of John chapter 13, that His followers would be known by their loving, gracious behavior toward all people, certainly toward one another. But there's another reason that we come across condemning and rigid and loveless, and that is when Christians sometimes see others who appear to be about to drive off a moral cliff and hurt themselves, hurt others, hurt the culture, and, and we, but we sense that uh, they need a warning rather than comfort at that time. Uh, and, he, and here's what I mean. Sometimes individuals, sometimes groups make moral and ethical decisions and take moral actions that put themselves, that put other people, sometimes threaten the, the well-being of the common good, the entire culture, put the well-being at risk. 
and may harm themselves, other people, or the culture. Well, they don't. Christians believe they don't need a pat on the back. Uh, they don't need an "I'm okay, you're okay." They need a warning to keep them from hurting themselves. Uh, I have a, a buddy who um, a few years ago took his uh, family on vacation down to the the Panhandle of Florida. They were in Panama City Beach and had a beautiful first day there, uh, out on the beach playing with the kids. And they they came in and got cleaned up and going to beat the the crowd to the restaurants for going to go to their favorite place to eat uh, on their first night there. And he said as they were walking out of the uh, the hotel, his five-year-old daughter was excited and she took off running for the car in the parking lot. And she started to run right between two automobiles. Their car, and there was a, the drive, and then their car was on the other side of the drive. Well, a bunch of high school kids are there. First day at the beach, right out of school, joy riding, and their car was zipping right down in front of the hotel. And he said to her, Now, honey, I'm so glad that God made you with free will and, and uh, that you enjoy your, your freedom and of choice and you can live life any way that you choose. And I'm glad that you enjoy running uh, ahead of me and, and I don't want to impose my value or limits on you. No, he didn't. No, what do you think he did? Stop! And she recognized her father's voice, and she stopped. She did keep running and say, why? No explanation. She just stopped. The car zipped past, and she was unharmed. He didn't believe that she needed comfort or affirmation on her freedom as a human being at that point. What she needed was a warning. You're about to harm. Stop. Don't hurt yourself. Sometimes Christians come across as condemning and rigid and unloving when they're actually very compassionate and quite loving because we don't want people to hurt themselves or others or the, um, or the culture. And their motive is quite, our motive is quite loving and caring. But now that may cause some of you here to be asking the question, and I think this is a legitimate question. Well, Pastor... How dare Christians think that they're the ones who know? How dare Christians be so haughty, holier than thou? How dare they think that they know what is right from wrong, good from best? I mean, who put them there? I mean, how do they, how do they know to even tell someone that they're about to drive off a cliff? Good question. Darn good question. In fact, this may be the, the, the foundational question of the entire issue. And it's this. Well, is there an absolute moral code that is true for all people at all times at all places? Is there, is there a moral law that is true for all people in all cultures at all times and in all Places, Because if there is not, the only alternative is chaos. The only alternative is anarchy. The only alternative is everybody gets to do what's right in their own eyes, except for the problem is if that's not true, there is no such thing as right and wrong. It all becomes personal preference. No one can... If there is no absolute moral truth, common to all people at all times and all places, then 
No one can ever legitimately to say to anyone else, hey, you're wrong, that's wrong. There is no wrong. There's only personal preference, and that's disaster. That is absolutely disaster. People say, well, I want it. Who are you to say that this is right? Who are you to say that this is wrong? That's our only alternative. Now, Christians believe... Here's where we net out on this. We do believe that there is in existence a moral law, that there are moral absolutes that apply to everyone at all times on the planet, and we believe that this moral law is found in God's Word. That, that's what Christianity believes, that the Bible is the, is the God-breathed, inspired, written, very Word of God, free from error, truth without any mixture of error, and it is authoritative on all issues upon which it speaks. And that that this absolute moral law, the content, the actual ethical demands of God and morality is found in the Bible. Now, that's what, that's what we believe. You say, well, why would you believe that? Well, I've taught on this many times over the years through the, the life of our uh, church, and I don't have time to repeat those talks, but if you look on the back side of your note sheet there in your notes, I've listed at least, I think, three of the messages I've done on the reliability of the Scriptures and why we believe that the Bible is authoritative and that we can, can and should pay attention to it. You can go to the website, find those, and listen to those. Uh, but sometimes Christians appear to be unloving when we really are not. We are simply in stop, don't hurt yourself mode. The whole question of does Christianity force morality on others, that entire question wrongly assumes that that is possible that it is possible in the personal, individual sense to press uh, someone to force morality on others. We don't believe that's possible. Personal convictions, personal uh, ideas are just that. They are person. A person becomes convinced in their own mind that something is true or untrue, right or wrong, and they adopt those beliefs for themselves. Uh, I don't know who said this uh, first, but I, I like the quote, a person convinced against their will remains unconvinced still. It, it is, we believe it to be impossible. Now, we believe people can be persuaded. In fact, that's what I'm trying to do to you right now. I can't force it, but I'm, I'm, I'm seeking to, to the best of my ability, persuade you. People can be persuaded. People can be encouraged uh, to change their minds, change their thinking, and adopt new personal views and convictions about what is right from wrong, what is true and what is not true. But it is impossible to make another human being believe something. It is impossible to do so. It is the nature of human beings that we have the power to choose. We have the power to decide. We believe that that is a God-given power and that every human being has it from Him. Our history of, as human beings is full of accounts of attempts to force people to believe something against their will. I mean, the Crusades, which were a magnificent example of missing the point. Uh, the Crusades, the Spanish Inquisition, uh, the Protestant Reformation, World War II Europe, World War II Germany. Uh, today, as we sit here in this room, there are attempts around the world to do the same thing. 
with the conflict in the Ukraine, with Ukraine and Crimea and Russia, uh, the civil war in Syria, uh, the persecution of followers of Jesus in Iran and in Egypt and in North Korea. And we say, it's impossible. There are attempts, they never work. One cannot force another human being to change their beliefs. It is impossible. So therefore, we would say it is not true that Christianity is forcing morality on others in the individual, private sense. Here's a big word, however. Let's change. However, we Christians and Christianity is unapologetically by nature and purpose attempting to persuade people to understand and adopt for themselves the, the ideas and the values and the person of Jesus Christ. We're trying to persuade unapologetically uh, individuals there. We without shame present the claims as Jesus Christ as Lord and God and Savior of all people and we seek to convince people to turn from their self-centered sinful lives and, and put their trust in Jesus alone for their salvation and love Him with all of their heart and soul and mind and strength. We're trying to persuade every individual on the planet to follow Christ. But it is persuasion because we believe that you hold the cards. You get to decide. You get to either reject Jesus or accept Jesus. And so we are not trying to cram it down anyone's throat because we don't believe that's possible. We're trying to be as persuasive as we can, but we don't believe it's possible to force it. Now, in public life, in the public life of our community, in the public life of our state, in the public life of our nation, in the public life of our culture, Morality is forced on every one of us. We need to understand this. Morality is forced on every one of us. All laws and ordinances are created that are created are based on the assumption that some things are right and some things are wrong. In that sense, morality is legislated. We have laws against stealing. We have laws against murder. We have laws against importing or manufacturing or distributing or using illegal drugs. We have laws that tell us it's right to park your car here, but it is wrong to park your car here. And those laws are enforced upon us. If you break the law, you pay the consequences. Uh, all the laws and ordinances on, from, the, from the laws of the land to the ordinances in your neighborhood are forced on us, and they are enforced. The reality is all groups are trying to promote some form of morality. Um, Christians aren't the only ones who wish that their beliefs and ideas were the predominant ones in the culture. We do, we do wish that because we believe that would be better for the culture. But we're not the only ones. All people who feel strongly about their beliefs desire for them to be the predominant beliefs in the culture and are arguing for that in the public square. The Republicans and the Democrats, the gun control advocates and the National Rifle Association, the National Organization for Women and Concerned Women for America, uh, the, um, the ACLU and the American Center for Law and Justice, the Sierra Club, the NEA, uh, People for the Legalization of 
marijuana, Planned Parenthood, the National Right to Life Association and organization, all believe their ideas to be good and best and right and therefore desire for them to be the predominant ideas uh, lived out in our uh, culture. Uh, and we're all convinced that we're right. Now, never criticize someone for thinking that they are correct. Don't you think you're correct? Don't you? Well, if not, are you arguing and for positions and living out things that you don't believe are true or right? What are you, what's that about? No, don't ever say, well, they just think they're right. Well, of course they think they're right. Sane human beings believe they're correct. They've come to some conclusions and some convictions and, and believe them uh, to be right. I think I'm right. So there. You know, see, when I, you know, uh, I was joking around. Dale Gieslin's in the early service, that great theologian and philosopher, our friend Dale. And he, he from time to time, will, will be in discussions about something. He'll say, well, I, you know, I, I, I could be wrong, but I doubt it. Well, that's us. That's human. You know, we come to clear convictions and, um, and ideas, and I think that is good, and that's, that's okay. And so we Christians are the same way. So my answer to the question... Doesn't Christianity try to force morality on others? My answer is no. And yes. No in the individual, personal sense, in that we don't believe that's possible. We seek to persuade individuals uh, to follow Christ and His uh, will in ways. But yes in the sense that all people in all groups who wish their ideas were dominant in the public life of the culture. And there are times when, when as Christians, we gladly plead guilty to pushing morality on others in the public policy arena of life because we believe it's good. Christians do have the responsibility to attempt to influence what goes on in American public life. It's just a part of what it means to be citizens in a democracy. That's not a just a Christian thing. That's a democratic belief. And we believe that every, all citizens in a democracy are supposed to actively engage in shaping the direction of society or at least have the opportunity to do so. And Christians are citizens just like everyone else. So I reject the claim that this kind of engagement is wrong. In fact, I would encourage you to step it up and not be bullied out of doing that. However, remember, um, as it says in, in the book of Psalms, thou shalt not be a jerk. I think that's where I found that. I think it's in there somewhere. Thou shalt not be a jerk. We talked about it last week. Jerks for Jesus never accomplish, never accomplish anything. If you're just out to win an argument or prove somebody else wrong, you're not helping us. That's not the deal. You don't want to win an argument and lose the war. Jesus said, He prayed in, in presenting the gospel. The Apostle Paul, inspired by God the Holy Spirit, uh, prayed that words would be given to him to speak the, the mystery of the gospel boldly as it ought to be spoken and with gentleness and with love and with respect. Now there you go. 
We're to be winsome and loving and gracious and respectful of all people because all, create, all people are created in the image of God. And while He is only followers of Jesus are adopted as His children, God is fatherly in His attitude toward all human beings and desires for them to be reconciled to Him. So be loving and gracious and gentle and winsome and smart and think through and, 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 and become persuasive with, with the compelling arguments and reasoning that come from the Scriptures. So I would encourage you to do that. Uh, the Christian morality, not left in the abstract but put into practice, has accomplished great things for human beings. Great things for human beings. For example, you'll see on the screen a rendering of William Wilberforce, the great British statesman who exerted his Christian influence over a 20-year period and brought an end to the slave trade in the British Empire in the 18th century. Christians created the great colleges and universities of the, of the colonial period in our country. Christians founded Harvard, Yale, Princeton, primarily for the training of Christian ministers and the uh, promotion of the understanding of God's will and ways is revealed in the Scriptures. Christians created those great universities. Abraham Lincoln held a strong belief in prayer in the Bible, and God used him to be the man that saved a nation and held it together. The most benevolent ministries in the world, like the American Red Cross, like the Salvation Army, like even the Peace Corps, are founded based on the pinnacle of the ethical teaching of Jesus known as the Golden Rule. His one statement, the Golden Rule, helped mobilize the founding of all of those, of all of those. Uh, many, if not the majority of the, uh, the hospitals in the world were originally created uh, by people who read the parable of the Good Samaritan and the care for the sick. Uh, we find that Dr. Martin Luther King's Southern Christian Leadership Conference mobilized for civil rights when few others in the country were speaking out. I mean, you read his biography and you'll find that he was an ordained Christian Baptist pastor who claims that his motivation was his relationship with Jesus Christ and the ethical demands of the Scriptures. And, and while we're lobbying for this, I, I think a darn good start for morality is found, for our, even for our public sector, is found in the, uh, the moral code that we find in the basic teachings of the Bible in Exodus chapter 20. Verses 1 through 17, we know them as the Ten Commandments. All of our Muslim friends in the world believe the Ten Commandments. They're in their holy writings. All of our Jewish friends in the world hold the Ten Commandments. One of the th few things that, that the, the three big world religions of Christianity, Judaism, and Islam hold in common. Uh, the first four of those relate to humanity's relationship to God, how we relate to God. Uh, the, the final six of those relate to how we... Uh, relate to and impact how we relate to others. But some have famously said those guidelines of God are outdated. I mean, they are no longer sufficient in a complex modern world and you're incredibly naive to think that we could return to such simple and uh, simple values and that they would have any effect on our complex problems like uh, the, the um, rampant uh, teen pregnancy and... Um, illegitimate birth rate in our country, rampant divorce, sexually transmitted diseases, absentee fathers, uh, racial conflict, violence, kids who kill without 
remorse, economic disasters. Well, here's what I'd say to that. These are the very problems that a commitment to the morality expressed in the Ten Commandments would either eliminate or ease dramatically. Dramatically. I mean, imagine with me for just a moment. Consider a a, a community, what our community right here would be like, where children respected their parents, respected and loved and admired their parents, and uh, not as little robots, but as willing learners uh, who listen to their parents and see them as real people. Imagine what our community would be like uh, if it were full of marriage partners who love each other unconditionally and faithfully and stay faithful to each other uh, relationally, sexually, emotionally, and in all ways for their entire life, where there would be little or no divorce, no absentee fathers. Imagine a, a community uh, without theft, without murder, without shooting, without fist fights on the playground and in the bedroom. Imagine with me uh, a community here in Fayette and Coweta County in South Fulton County where you could trust everyone and they would would trust you to do what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it, for them to do what they say they're going to do when they say they're going to do it. Imagine with me a, a community not driven by greed and therefore a country not driven by greed would have avoided the terrible recession that we just have all been living through. Imagine. This is the kind of world that would be built if the morality and the ethical demands of God as expressed in the Scripture were implemented and lived out radically. Please understand something. There's only one problem with that. We Christians don't believe human beings can do it. We don't believe we can do this. You see, Christianity is not keeping all of the moral code of the Bible. That's called moralism. We don't believe that. We believe, as we all quoted earlier, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We believe we and all human beings are sinful, that fundamentally, when we grew to the point of moral maturity, we all shook our fist in the face of God and said, I'm going to do it my way. Thank you very much. And we've rebelled against God, and our heart has shriveled, and we have become sinful at our core and behave sinfully. We believe, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, that every one of us, every human being, has broken all ten commandments. I mean, you read it for yourself. In Matthew chapter six, seven, uh, 5, 6, and 7, uh, and He explains it, that we're guilty of all. We believe all are separated from God and that the wages of sin is death and that we deserve death and hell separated from God forever. Not only that, we don't think there's anything that can commend us to God. We don't believe there's any way that we can, we can reconcile ourselves to God. Christianity is the belief that God Himself, who is more holy than we could ever comprehend, looked with compassion upon you 
and me, sinful people who will never, ever admit that we are as sinful as we really are. And came to earth in the form of a man called Jesus, God the Son, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life because He couldn't stand for us having to atone for our sin forever in a place called hell. And He lived a perfect life and went to the cross. And somehow, when He was dying on the cross, God the Father arranged for all of your sin and guilt and shame and all of my sin and guilt and shame and all of the sin and guilt and shame of humanity to be placed on Him, laid on Him, credited to His account, and He had the ability to pay the full price. He paid the penalty for our sin. He took the full suffering for you and me. We can't comprehend that fully. Jesus Christ, whose love is without, uh, is so beyond us, we have no ability to comprehend it, made a way for you and me. God treated Jesus, who was righteous, just like He was us, who are sinful. So that if we admit our own sinfulness and put our trust in Jesus who rose from the dead and is alive, proving that He had the ability to do what He said He would do, if we put our trust in Him, God treats us like we were Jesus because He treated Jesus like He was us. And guilty sinners get to go scot-free. That's why the very first song we sang today was this is amazing grace. That is the grace of God. We don't deserve it. It's beyond us. We, don't, we can't under, understand it. As the old hymn writer said, Amazing love, how can it be that you, my King, would die for me? That's what He did. And so we believe that only by a renovation of the heart, receiving the gift of God's Holy Spirit through salvation in Christ and His amazing grace, will we then be turned into the kind of people who begin to be what God wants us to be and do what pleases Him. Only then can we become somewhat good. My, our friend Dave Richardson, who's a member here, I don't know if Dave's in the service today, but I'm going to quote him. In, a, in some writing that he's done, uh, he, he made this statement, and I lifted it right out of his writing. If people seek, love, serve, and follow Jesus, their behavior may become good. However, seeking, follow, loving, serving, and following a rule, a law, or principle never made anyone good. It's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And so let's, uh, let's come to Him now. Pray with me. Would you? Pray with me. For some of you, your heart's been beating kind of fast. You're wondering what's going on, and I would just say to you, this is the Holy Spirit of God knocking at the door of your heart, as the old writer used to say, seeking to encourage you to repent. And that means to change your mind about yourself, your condition. Change your mind about Jesus Christ and who He is. and Change your mind about your sinfulness and your need for a Savior. And to encourage you to turn from your self-controlled, sinful life and place your active trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. To the best of your understanding, commit control of your life in eternity to Him and He will forgive you your sin and He will come into your life and take up residence by His Holy Spirit and He will begin to cleanse you and 
cause you to love Him and turn you into the kind of person He wants you to be, enable you to live the way He wants you to live as described in the Scriptures. He will adopt you as His child. He will give you His gift of eternal life that when you leave this life, you'll be with Him in the next. And so in your own words, right where you are, why don't you pray and commit your life to Christ, please. Others of you are followers of Jesus, and, but you have been away from Him. In fact, you are currently right now in sinful rebellion against God. Uh, you're looking for something else to cleanse your life and beautify your life. For some of you, it's sex. You're having sex outside of marriage. For some of you, it's money. You're trying to pursue, add zeros to an income figure rather than love Jesus. For some of you, it's power. You're just trying to power up over your wife or your employees or your community. You're seeking power and prestige. But listen, it's Jesus plus nothing. Jesus plus nothing. And so repent and do deeds that give evidence of repentance. Others of you are Christians and you would like, you've been holding back being the salt of the earth and the light of the world, as Jesus said in our culture. Engaging in influencing for the, for the common good our society. Well, why don't you begin by praying, Lord, I, I pray that you would make me the kind of person who can engage wisely and persuasively and boldly, yet with great love, yet with great compassion, yet with great love and gentleness. Teach me to be that kind of person for your use, Lord. Others of you have some great hurts in your heart and life right now. And so I want you to take the time to think of the person or the people, the issue or the issues that's causing you the most fear or anxiety or pain, and pour out your heart to God. Ask for His help. Tell Him in your own words, and I'm going to close our prayer in just a moment. Heavenly Father, we pray to You because we believe You hear us when we pray. And You do some things when we pray that You don't do when we don't pray. So now, Lord, thank You for those who committed their hearts and lives to You as Lord, God, and Savior to follow You. Thank You for those who've been disobedient children but now who have repented. Now give them grace to do deeds that give evidence of this repentance. Thank You for those here who have yielded themselves once again to be instruments in Your hand for Your glory and for the common good. Thank You for hearing the prayers of those who have poured out broken hearts to You. Lord, help them, sustain them, and uh, open their eyes that they may recognize Your hand uh, this week in response to these prayers. And Lord, we do pray for our culture. We do pray that Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your reign your rule, your ways, for your glory and our good. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.